Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. And welcome, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the amazing podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in Stress Times. And I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Post. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Scott. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome, everybody, back to our new episode. Thank you for those who are joining live and will pop in and out um, we keep watching the demographics. We are growing, wow. so it's really exciting. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I love the fact that our, our platforms are expanding. I do, too. I, I think it's cool that not only do we have some uh, Gen Ys, Millennials, and Xers, but uh, shout out to our 60-plus-year-olds who've started listening. We've seen the demographic rise, and we're glad to have you one and all. Yeah, All demogra- shapes and sizes. Demographics are interesting because we've... Uh, We've been noticing that <laughs> the majority of our folks are either uh, from the U.S. or Canada, where Michelle is originally from. And then Woo-hoo! we've got a great international uh, audience. So thank you for that. Yeah, uh, and we even now have non-binary listeners. So yes. uh, mm-hmm. we, we welcome all, all are of, welcome. All of you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start off our shows. We got an interesting show today, and it's something that Michelle and I have actually been chatting about offline for quite a while. And I'll explain that when we jump into it, because she used <laughs> me kind of as a guinea pig and then left me hanging. So I've got these dying questions oh, good. To, to ask her today. Okay. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we mm-hmm. generally go through and say, you know, what's been going on in all of our lives uh, that we can use metaphorically or anecdotally with you, the listener. And interestingly enough, Michelle, the first thing that happened this morning were tech issues, right? Tech issues. Absolutely. So I, um, I had to unplug, restart, get everything done all in time, thankfully to still start on time. And when I got online and stopped being pixelated and my video stopped freezing, Scott said, you know, sometimes we have to unplug, wait 30 seconds and replug in. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that works, but it does. And you said, I I said, it's just like human beings. All of us at some point Mm -hmm. need to unplug and wait 30 seconds and and then plug plug back in. (laughs) And it's a great reminder. I mean, we, we use that with, we didn't do it with our kids, but we use it with the grandkids. Uh Um, it's not a timeout. It, it is, uh-huh. you know, it's not a punishment. It's, I just need to unplug from the world for a moment. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's like, just go away, go away. Yeah. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I learned is literally, I'll, I'll pass this on to our listeners who, who are listening to replay, because those of you who are alive can see this, that you kind of take your hands, put them up towards your head area and kind of wave away all the bad shit. Oh, I love that. Just wave no. it away. Wave your hands towards your ears. Yeah. And it's Create kind of your little wind thrust. So that oh, if, you're brushing if all the bad. If this video was recorded, that would be fun. Yeah. You're, brush, <laughs> you're brushing all the bad stuff away from your head and up and out into the universe where the universe can handle it. Yes. And you just 
for 30 seconds, you're done. Um, mm-hmm. in, interestingly enough, I know, you know, one of the people, one of my mentors, Tony Robbins, Tony does a, a priming thing where very similar, but his hands push up and he does a priming thing in the morning where he's kind of like doing air push-ups, air push-ups? or air, air huh. lifts and you're breathing in and out 10 times real quickly. Huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you don't do that, some of you have heard me chat about Wim Hof and yeah. his breathing. And mm-hmm. I do the Wim Hof breathing a lot just as a reset. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've never studied the Iceman, that's what Wim Hof's uh, nickname uh-huh. The man's remarkable. Yeah. And he developed his breathing technique and his cold shower bath submersion uh-huh. techniques after the death of his uh, wife and all the emotional stress that he went through. And it was his way of coping. And so uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting journey for all of you to unplug, do mm-hmm. something for 30 seconds, mm-hmm. even if it's just meditation or box breathing or mm-hmm. uh, one of those techniques. And then you can plug back in. And mm-hmm. it's, suddenly your life isn't as pixelated and it isn't as, <laughs> it isn't as jerky. It's not frozen. And you have, and you have more clarity. Um. Good so reminder. Michelle, we're, we're coming, we're coming off your birthday celebration. I know that was fun. You got away. I did. And, I and unplugged. How, how was it to get out in the world again? Uh, strange and wonderful. Um, it was a road trip. So it's been a while since I've been on a plane. I'm not quite looking forward to plane travel yet, but it was a road trip. So that was much safer. And it was a progressive road trip with some snorkeling and some fine dining and dive like you've heard of the show triple d drive-ins diners and dives i think it is it's a foodie show i i have not but oh okay it's a it's a foodie show where they go to different diners around the country and highlight certain foods so we went to a restaurant that is famous for their lobster roll and steamed clams. And it was good. It was good. It's kind of, I like those sort of iconic uh, places. Like um, Brian, Brian loves to cook. He's like a really amazing cook. And I enjoy cooking, but I'm not as confident in the kitchen as Brian is, especially when Brian is in the kitchen, by the way. <laughs> Nothing like a better chef around you to make you feel yeah. a little intimidated, but but uh, we like Top Chef and, you know, those sort of chefy shows. And then we like to look at where the different chefs end up and see if we can go try out their restaurants. So this was a different kind of experience because it was just a little dive shack, you know, little seafood shack, but, but well, quite I told, fun. I've told you my wife, Michelle and I have chatted offline again, uh, my wife's family, uh, from Alabama and they love going to the Gulf coast and that's uh-huh. what she grew up with. And I've heard all about these little dives. I, I'm yeah. not going there yet, but uh, I will tell you uh, <laughs> before we jump into today's show, I did an outing. Both my wife and I have now been uh, vaccinated. Right. And so we did our first outing and I went to Costco. For those of you overseas, Costco is a big box wholesale <laughs> You go in there and you buy in like a bulk. warehouse. It's a warehouse and you go and you buy in bulk. You have to be a member of it uh, to, to get in. We have Sam's Club and similar things as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't been to Costco in a year. 
And oh, wow. I love Costco. I just love going in and uh-huh. the stuff. Seeing the right? stuff. Uh-huh. And so uh, you can imagine I hadn't been in there in a year. We get the cart and we finally get up to the cash register and the guy says, are you guys throwing a party? <laughs> and I said, no, I haven't been here in a year. I'm stocking up again. <laughs> that is hysterical. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a little embarrassing, frankly, but it was uh, so nice to be able to get out. Everybody was wearing masks. Uh-huh. They were all social distancing, but uh-huh. it's you forget when you live in these bubbles uh, yes. what human connection is. I know. Yeah. And sometimes you're happy to have it. And other times you're reminded of why it's been fun not to have it. Like when you're driving, <laughs> people are rude yeah. on the road. <laughs> what, what happened here? But I do have a funny little Costco thing. You know, Instacart is one of the, I don't know if it's more than in the US, but in the US, you can order things online and somebody picks it up for you and delivers, which has been a big part of surviving the pandemic Absolutely. for us. But early on, I made the mistake on a Costco order because everything's huge, right? I made the mistake on Costco order of ordering baking soda and not checking the size. And instead of, you know how you use like a tiny bit of baking soda in everything that you cook? It, it's like, you know, a little can like this will last you two, three years. The thing came back this big. <laughs> and so I was like, I was easy bright. Should we just do a bunch of recipes like we're finding all kinds of things to use baking soda like if you put a little in the wash machine it's it it like takes out some of the scent if you put some in the freezer or the fridge it <laughs> we're trying to find all kinds of ways to use this huge I, I gotta soda. tell you it's funny that you say that because I'm the instacart shopper in the house my okay. wife will go to the store I'm the instacart shopper I learned the hard way that there are two ways you can order your produce. Yes. By item or yes. by the pound. I know. There's a freaking difference when you order one <laughs> grape versus one pound. <laughs> I thought I had ordered a, one grape. I honest to God thought I had ordered a pound of grapes. And, and it's like I got three freaking grapes for three 69 grapes. cents. Oh, and I did the opposite with ginger. I thought I was ordering like one little piece of ginger and I got a pound of ginger. Well, I can tell you because periodically the grandkids will come over and, anyway. and we're, we're, we watch them. As a matter of fact, today is Parker Sue's fourth birthday and oh. I can smell the, bir- the birthday cake because she's oh, in the kitchen yay. cooking with my wife right now. Uh, at four, I will go out there at some point and see what that looks like. That should be yeah. interesting. Um, I also noticed on your social media that grandkids, you posted um, pictures of them in Batman, Batgirl. Is that a special occasion thing? Do they come no, over and get dressed a, up? It's Well, it's not a special occasion. The kids know when they come here that the Bat Cave is upstairs. It's, it's my room. Um, and there's all the Bat... Okay, I'm going to just fess up. Yes, I have a full Batman outfit, and I, I have I have I love I, it. I have my Batmobile in the garage, and uh, Hunter, who's two, a real Batmobile. It, well, well, we'll just say that I have a car in the garage that is the Batmobile. Leave it at that. But but Hunter. Uh, and I actually own the license plate Dark Knight, just so you just, oh, so, get out of town. Yeah. No, I do. Wow. And um, I mean, it's I, we're talking like a real Batman fan. You are and, a real fan. And Hunter, Hunter, um, who's two, 
loves to go in the garage and just touch it <laughs> because he's little Batman. And so as a result of that, as a result uh-huh. of that, and I'm seeing all this, Parker wanted to dress up as Wonder Woman and Hunter wanted to dress up as little Batman. Little Batman. Uh, and we we just threw these things together. Um, so yes, when they come to well our done. house, it is always dress up day. As a matter of fact, uh, (laughs) if you've noticed in the pictures, the masks are nothing, those sleep gel masks. Oh, yes. They don't know what they are. They don't. They look Uh, like a mask to anybody. I ordered them them some uh, capes off of Amazon. So they've got these little capes that they wear. Uh And then their gloves are honest to God, those disposable like if you wash the toilet and whatever else. Uh (laughs) Or you do dishes. So creative. So my wife just took them and cut the fingers out of them and they look like these gauntlets now on them. <laughs> and, the, and they go run around the backyard and they fly. Uh, we've, we have told Beautiful. them that they may not jump off any roofs I am so or, glad. or off walls. I'm glad. Um, but at first. some point I expect one of them will try and fly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is that, that is cute and hopefully safe. <laughs> yeah if any if, if if any of you have know of guy clark it's g-u-y-c-l-a-r-k i invite you to go listen to his song the cape oh and it is absolutely wonderful i'm not gonna ruin it for anybody but it's called okay. the cape okay and it's one of my it, it will it ties right in by the way with what we are talking about today it's you give names to things uh one Ah. of the lines out of the song is always trust your cape (laughs) so it's called the cape by guy clark and i invite all of you uh to listen to it and so this this actually would be a good a good segue into our topic today if you don't mind i don't uh this all came about let me give some quick backstory michelle and i were chatting Mm -hmm. she was actually telling me uh about a client interaction. And by the way, you know, we both have clients. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about intimate details with each other. No. But we do talk about general terms right? to see if there's a way that we can integrate and bring stories to you guys. And one of the things that Michelle was passing on to me was a client who had a personality slash stressor slash trigger in their life. Mm-hmm. And they had given this stressor triggered thing a name Mm -hmm. and I said what do you mean you gave it a name Michelle and so she kind of talked me through it Mm -hmm. and I don't do that I've never I had never done it and so Mm -hmm. at some point I really started ruminating and meditating and contemplating God what does it mean when you give your stress a name what does it mean when you give your habit a name what does it mean when you give anything a name Mm -hmm. and so I finally came up with some and I went back to Michelle and I said okay okay (laughs) smart one I've, I've got, uh, I've got all these names. Now, what the hell do I do with it? And here we are. (laughs) And here we are. And here Uh we are. So, so Uh maybe by way of backstory, Michelle, you could explain, um, I guess, I mean, I can talk a little bit about transactional analysis, but you know, the Mm -hmm. gestalt and narrative therapy Mm -hmm. aspects Mm -hmm. of it so that listeners can understand the distinction Mm-hmm. between them. And then I'll jump in with transactional analysis. Yeah. So n- narrative therapy is a postmodern theory. One of the newer theories that the stories we tell ourselves, right. 
impact our mood, impact our motivation, impact our behaviors. And you may hear people reframing the way they talk about someone or something like, I'm not, you know, you hear people, you, let's use a diagnosis. Like we encourage our clients not to say, um, I'm a depressive, right? We encourage them to say something like, I'm a person who experiences depression, right? And, or, uh, uh, I, you know, not I'm fat. I'm a person who struggles with weight, right? So by de-identifying narr- narrations or, or thoughts that we have about ourselves, we can then allow ourselves to move past the problem. So that's a very brief explanation of narrative therapy. Gestalt therapy is sort of my go-to theory when I'm not using using cognitive behavioral therapy. So it comes from Fritz Perls, who was a student of Freud, who said, hey, people aren't rich. They can't sit around five, five times a week for an hour a week on a couch free associating for six years. <laughs> they can't. Yep. Nobody has that kind of time, money, or energy unless you're really, really rich. Right. So he's, he created Gestalt therapy with the concept that we need to make progress in our lives faster. And so Gestalt is that the sum of the parts is different than the whole. And there's a parts integration piece with Gestalt therapy that I think crosses over into neurolinguistics programming, which we've talked about on the show before. Yeah. But the idea is that we have all these little parts inside of ourselves that kind of run around and create havoc. And by really getting clear on the things we name this stuff running around, we can get clear on who's in charge and whether we want to keep it that way. So the the best thing I can say is for those of you that have seen the movie from Disney Pixar Inside Out, the movie is based on this little teenage girl who has fear, joy, sad, disgust, and anger inside of her. And whenever she has to react to something in her environment, these five little people run around inside of her deciding who gets to push the button. And depending on who wins the argument, they push the button and then that thing happens. She either reacts with a joyful happiness or a disgusting reaction or an anger reaction. And it was such a good explanation of what I've been doing for years, particularly with trauma or just self-esteem and all the different parts inside of ourselves that maybe get a little out of whack. So sometimes, so I had, without disclosing this client's personal information, he had, we talk about the board of directors in a different way than Scott's talked about your, your 12 advisors. The board of directors are all these little parts inside of you. And you want to look at who's in charge, who has most of the shares and is making most of the decisions. And do you want to keep it that way? Is it working for you, right? So in this case, um, I had a client who was going through career transition and just was really slothful, having a lot of difficulty making any changes, et cetera, et cetera. So we came up, I won't say the specific name, that's too close, but we came up with his icon inside of him that was basically like, someone constantly on vacation, you know, couch surfing, uh, just, you know, laissez-faire, do nothing, follow through with nothing, um, you know, and that person had about 60% of the deciding vote 
in any board meeting in his head. So when given the opportunity, he would do nothing. <laughs> and it was keeping him stuck. So that part of you, just like we talked, we started off talking about the importance of unplugging and doing nothing and how resetting is important. We never kill off our inner parts. They're, they all serve a role, but do they work for good or do they work for evil? Yeah, I, I got to <laughs> say, uh, I do uh, in the work that I do when I coach people, I do a lot of parts integration using Great. NLP. Uh, and it it's amazing when people start to become whole again, yeah. which, which then leads to, and I know Michelle, you don't use transactional analysis, but I've been revisiting uh, Dr. Eric Burns book, the games people play, which is the handbook for transactional analysis. And mm. if some of you don't know, transactional analysis is based, and I'm going to be really uh, summary in the way I describe this. It is built around the concept that the social interactions or what they used to call social intercourse, not sure that's appropriate anymore. The social <laughs> interactions that we have with each other, uh -huh. there are very similar to what Michelle's telling you, this, you know, very laid back person on the board of directors mm -hmm. is actually playing games. Ah. And so the transactional analysis is what is the game that you're playing that is destructive that you mm -hmm. may not even be aware that you're playing. Mm -hmm. And it is built around, and this changed when I, when I first learned this, this changed dramatically the way I work with clients and frankly, with the way I even work with myself. And it's built around the construct that there are three roles you play in your life. Mm -hmm. There's the child, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's the adult, Mm -hmm. And then there's the parent. Mm -hmm. And when a stressor comes up, the question becomes, which role are you in? You know, mm -hmm. when mom or dad call, are you suddenly thrown back into the child role? And now mm -hmm. you become the misbehaving child or, or mm -hmm. whatever the, the game is that you're playing. Mm -hmm. If you see a child misbehaving and now see someone else misbehaving do you suddenly become the stern parent mm -hmm. and you immediately go back to and we'll talk about this when we get to uh some of the the terms that i came up with in my head after michelle uh started living in my head and <laughs> and you know do you suddenly become the stern parent right. uh and can you move from child and parent to adult where it's mm -hmm. a more uh, laid, not laid back, but a more objective, mm -hmm. even keeled mm -hmm. response to it. And the thing that mm -hmm. I found fascinating is that in the games people play, mm -hmm. they break it down into different areas of your life. So for example, there are life games, there are marital games, there are sexual games, Par, uh, party games, there are feel good games. And it's very similar to uh, Michelle, what you were chatting about, because one of the examples in there is the term alcoholic. Mm. And Dr. Byrne says, it's, it's not that you are an alcoholic, it's that mm -hmm. you're playing the alcohol game. Uh, like a like an actor would play like, a role. Like, and they're very destructive scripts that run subconsciously. Mm. So for example, the alcoholic game may involve, hey, let's just have one. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Uh -huh. right? Let's just have one, which then 
if you are the addictive personality type, gives you permission to now have one and more. Yes. Because you've got, you've thrown yourself into a permissive uh, style. The one that I love the most because it resonated so deeply with me from all my years as a trial lawyer is the game. Now I've got you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, I just What's love that the game? name. I love the name number one. <laughs> but think about it. It's how many times do you expect the worst of someone? Then your confirmation bias goes out, looks for it. That looks reticular for activating system goes out and looks for it. And uh -huh. it's like, I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. Now I've uh, got you, now you son of a bitch. I've got you. <laughs> Uh -huh. and, and so, you know, it, I, I'm not going to write all of it, but but I'll give you some of the names that Byrne came up with. Before you so go you there, though, Scott, like uh, there was some legitimate research done. Oh, I want to say in the 70s with school teachers and children where they told the school teachers this set of children yep. is high functioning and advanced when they weren't. And this set of children is remedial and struggling when they weren't. And it didn't take very long for the children's expectation, the, the teacher's unconscious expectations to, to be fulfilled the by the children. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this kind of, and it's a little off topic, but this kind of goes in with uh, Dr. E. Uh, Haleakala uh, Lou Hens, uh, Hugh Lenz, I always mess that up, uh, Ho'oponopono practice, where he's mm. a psychologist, he's thrown into a Hawaiian prison mental institution mm -hmm. to be the doctor. Mm -hmm. And he did exactly what you're talking about, Michelle. Mm -hmm. He took all of the folders and went through the whole Ho'oponopono construct and never saw the patients. Yeah, wow. And, and it, as he went through the meditation and started healing himself and right. his expectations, suddenly the patients, their behaviors started comporting with Dr. Len's beliefs. Wow. So it's fascinating uh, in there. Now, I'm just going to throw out some and this names. Is, and, then it, and then this is, if this is the effect we have on other people, if our beliefs have this effect on other people, imagine how much more powerful your beliefs are yeah. on yourself. That's, that was my point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, just a few of the games. We, I told you yeah. about uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the I got you. I've got you, your son of a bitch. <laughs> but there, there's obviously the alcoholic, and you can make that any addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorites is see what you made me do. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So see now what I'm you the victim. made me do. Mm -hmm. um, the if it weren't for you, dot, dot, dot. Oh, right. I'd be happy. I'd be rich. I'd be peaceful. I'd be calm. Yeah. All my problems are you. Here's mm -hmm. a good one. Look how hard I've tried. Oh, I relate to that one. Um, Look how hard I've tried. I probably did that to you today before we started. Look how hard yeah. I tried. The the ain't it awful. I love, you know, when I get clients who they constantly commiserate. They I've got, oh, yeah, I've got yeah. a number of Eeyores in my life, by the way. Oh, and okay. I can, hello, Scott. <laughs> I think it's I lost my bad, tail. It's boo. a bad day today. <laughs> and it's like, I and my nickname for them now, because of this is Eeyore. Um, <laughs> and there, there are a bunch of them. There but don't we all have Eeyores inside of us? Like I that's the reality, do. right? 
We, we do. The, the question becomes, and this is a good segue, whether we're talking about gestalt or narrative uh, mm-hmm. or transactional or something else. Mm-hmm. Here's what I found in going through the process after talking to you, Michelle. Okay. So in my family, one of the things, the stressors in my life that I named is crime and punishment. Mm. What does and that mean? again, the <laughs> family that I grew up in, very European, you know, Romania, uh, Latvian, you you pick it. You're Russia, but crime and you know somebody did something wrong, somebody gets punished. Mm. And so, to me, it's very easy to to come up with crime and punishment, uh, mm. or the target child, or mm. uh, you know any of these names. The mm-hmm. question become here's what I noticed in doing it. Let me back up for a minute. In giving it a name. Mm-hmm. I suddenly found I was able to think about it externally. Suddenly it wasn't inside me. Suddenly it was like, oh, there's that thing again. Which, by the way, then uh, a a few of my family members and I was going through this very thing with them and saying, hey, we're going to do this show. And I named these things. And one of my family members came up with another one. Don't take the bait. So I've got like the fisherman, (laughs) right? It's like this, the person who's always lobbing the, the bait out there waiting for the fish to bite. Um, so what do you do yeah. with these things after you name them? Yeah. And I've now got them living in me. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Well, I will, I will tell you, I'm going to, just so you're not the only vulnerable one here. One that I just talked about, yes, uh, on Saturday, as Brian and I were going around, I have a rebel that's sometimes a contrarian. Now, when the rebel wants to be socially just or, you know, question rules that maybe are unnecessary or seem superfluous, you know, I like that aspect of the rebel. But when the contrarian just doesn't want to do something because someone told her to do it or not do it, that's really funny. So in our housing, uh, uh, for whatever reason, in our housing association, sheds are not allowed on, on our property. We cannot have a shed. It's like a rule. You can't live here and put a shed in your backyard. I have never really wanted a shed. I've not fantasized about a shed, but I swear to you, ever since that rule, I go around and I see sheds everywhere. Why does they have, why do they have a shed? Oh, they have a nice shed. They have a crappy shed. They have, you know, like, oh, sheds are on sale at Costco. <laughs> we, we ought to rename the show, Keeping Your Shed Together. <laughs> Keeping Your Shed Together. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so what I did with it is, First, so first thing you want to do is kind of look at who are these parts of you that are inside of you and you name them, like what role do they play in your life, then you want to take a look at what percentage of control do they have over your board of directors like how much are they in charge, most people have an internal critic call it what you want. Uh, you know, internal self-criticism person, a judger, kind of a mean girl, mean guy, mean person, just the judge. That might be the crime and punishment, you know, like always looking for the crime, right? You did it. So usually people have some version of a critic. Usually people have some version of a coach or a cheerleader. Often in my work, people come to me with too high of a critic too low of a coach or cheerleader. And we want to get that back in balance because the self-criticism is is high and it's also aimed at other people. So there's a sense of tension, anger, criticism, 
contention and stuff going on in the world. It would be like your little fiery anger guy from the in and out movie. <laughs> so the judge. So you want to figure out who your parts are. You want to figure out, huh, is that, is that all of them? Like who influences my behavior and my habits and, and my life? It, did I get them all? What percentage of the board are they in charge of? And then you want to break them down even more. Are they an animal? Are they a color? Do they have a texture to them? How old are they? And with the how old are they, let's say you pick something like they're five years old. You might do a little journaling about what was going on in your life at age five that created this character in you, right? And is it still like it probably served you very well at age five because here you are, whatever age you are, and you've survived and you're alive. But is it serving you well today, right? Because who, what we need at five is not necessarily what we need right. at 30, 40, 60, et cetera. So how old are they? Sometimes you'll realize they're ancient. Like I've had people identify mystical creatures that feel like they're from, you know, the beginning of time. And I think that kind of taps into a whole other union collective unconscious archetype type of thing that, that we all sort of track in, in our well, it's, we, we we had just done the epigenerational, transgenerational, mm -hmm. uh, intergenerational discussion, and I can tell you the crime and punishment thing that goes on in my head, right? Uh, was it's not ancient, but it's I, I can tell you it's this old tribal leader. Mm -hmm. This is the way things Needed are in order, order for us to survive, right? Mm -hmm. No chaos. Chaos means death, and so yep. it's crime. We punish it. A yeah. eye for an eye, a, you know, a hand for a hand. So we're all blind mm -hmm. and toothless. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it's literally very old. And yeah. it was a very interesting, after I chatted with you, a very mm -hmm. interesting recognition that, my God, this has been going mm -hmm. on for a while. Yeah. And then you like, oh, a couple little other tidbits I'll talk to, particularly men in my practice. Um when we were in the hunter-gatherer stage of our culture, right? People that had hypervigilance, anxiety, and were quick to respond, those type A personalities that we see today, they were more likely to survive yeah. than the type B, relaxed, kickback, chill people, right? Because we needed it at that time. It may not be serving us today moving forward, but we have this long epigenerational trend, you know, thing of a lot of us are carrying around multi-generational anxiety, right? Because we were sort of predisposed. You survived if you ran high, but you did not survive as much if you were slower to start or slower to respond. So keep in mind, if you do run high, this is my nurturer side of me saying, you earned that right to run high and it's okay. Don't judge yourself. Just look at, do, is it serving me today? Do I want to change it? Maybe I need to incorporate more regular relaxation training, more unplugging, you know, more things to calm me down so that I'm, I'm operating at a more reasonable level. I can take in information more easily. So, so that's, that being said, 
the next thing you want to do is have a conversation with your parts. How can you work for good and not for evil for me? Right. I will teach my people. We never kill off the critic. That's the other thing. Once you identify a part, your part will fight to survive. It doesn't want to lose power. (laughs) So it'll fight you to lose power. It also doesn't want to be killed off. It's afraid that you don't like it. It's it's the unsavory parts of yourself. Uh, and so I'm going to inter- kill it off. I'm going to interrupt you here yeah. because I think this is important. When we first okay. started this show, uh-huh. before we started this show, you and I were actually, I mean, we were friends and so uh-huh. we're having these discussions. You're here uh-huh. in Los Angeles and, uh-huh. and you were thinking about moving to Florida. I was thinking about... Uh, backing away from being a trial lawyer. And we were going through these life transitions mm-hmm. and a real hard one for me, uh, just so, so folks know, because I went through personally what Michelle is talking about. Um, I've got a gunfighter in me, honest yeah, to God, I've got a, a gunslinger. <laughs> and we've talked about, you know, when I would walk into court, people would say, I like your swagger. <laughs> and it's like, I, it, I didn't know I was physically doing it. <laughs> my wife, however, when she would appear in court and listen and give me feedback, she, she, she would either tell me, you've got the warrior on, uh-huh. you know, I've got the sword behind me that'll come out, uh-huh. she said, or you're doing that gunfighter thing again. Uh-huh. And I caught myself at one point, honest to God, putting my, my hand down when I'd walk, putting my hand down like I was pocket? wearing a set of guns, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Walking in and it was, I had adopted that. Now, here's the thing in a courtroom yeah. where it you're works. taking on an enemy, that works well. Yes. To bring that home no. <laughs> is not so good. No. And when I move into you know, retirement from being a trial lawyer, I don't do that anymore uh-huh. for a variety of reasons, but that's one <laughs> of them. I caught the gunfighter. I caught the warrior going, please don't kill me. Oh. I'm not done yet. Oh, and it's yeah, been something that, exactly. that when you just said that, that is mm-hmm. like, okay, so how do I repurpose them? Right, exactly. And so th- the thing I want to say to all the listeners is the thing that we're talking about is you've got all these parts going on. Yeah. We're less concerned about the ones that are serving you well. We're asking you to identify the scripting, which is being fed to you by these various parts mm-hmm. that, are, that are not serving you well. And that's see right. if there's a way to reprogram them. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, Michelle, but no, I wanted to that's make a it, perfect I wanted to make analogy. Personal that is like, yes. you know, I've got a warrior inside me that says, mm-hmm. I'm not done yet. Right. Right. So when it comes to the critic, I will tell you one of the things I found to be successful. If you identify you have an inner critic that's kind of beating you up a little bit, one of the things that I've done with people's critic is make an agreement with your critic that they matter and that they're important. And when their criticism is aimed outward, they help them pick products that are good products. You know, they analyze research and information for clear out the bullshit. It, you know, what is real and helpful information. They also tell you whether someone you want to work with is a good client or a good match, whether or not to share personal vulnerable information or withhold. Your critic is really, really helpful when aimed outward and well-managed. So if you can make an agreement that when you catch it criticizing yourself, you say, oh, no, no, 
that's not helpful. That leads us to either depression or anxiety or sadness or low self-esteem or whatever. That's not helpful. But if you can help me decide whether or not to take this new project on or decide whether or not you want to reach out and make the effort with this new friend or, you know, if for any of you out there dating, I mean, the critic is amazing when it comes to dating, especially online dating and all the weeds you got to get through in order to figure out who's a good partner for you. The critic is super helpful if it helps you look at reality testing. Um, how, how do you, Michelle, let's go back to the beginning sure. for, for listeners and uh-huh. they're experiencing the critic, they're experiencing stress, you know, whatever it is that's not serving them well. Sure. Do you have any suggestions for how they come up with these names? I mean, it took me quite frankly, a long time to, yeah. to, and maybe I was overthinking it to come up with a name. It's, I don't, ex, I never experienced right. life that way. The name. It, it was, you know, different. The tips I would say is, is ask yourself if it has a color, if it has a texture, if it's an animal or, you know, mystical or real animal. Um, if it's a certain person in your life, because sometimes it's a person in your life and then let that, the age the age of, of the character in your head, the script, the age of the script in your head. And then that usually helps people come up with a name a little easier. So but for this to work, can it be as simple as just saying it's the unicorn inside me? Of course. Okay. I mean, I've seen dragons. I've seen uh, saber toothed tigers. I've seen unicorns. I've seen uh, uh, <laughs> the yoga instructor, the priest, the magician. You know, it could just be mom you know, like the mother, like the mother can be both a good or a bad figure, you know, so it could just be the mom. It could just be like uh, the judge, you know, so people, well, by, you be creative with it. It's but, okay. By the way, I, I, the reason I was asking is because I'm glad you said that, you know, one of the things I'm a big fan of, uh, and those people who've worked with me in the divination slash fortune telling area uh-huh. know uh-huh. that I'm a big believer in using the, the major arcana from the tarot mm-hmm. for its archetypal symbolism. Yes, and the beautiful. fact that each one of those, whether it's the magician or the high priestess, et cetera. Uh, and so I use them much like uh, Rorschach inkblot tests, yeah. where I ask folks to choose the card that resonates with them. Yeah. And then we use that as the springboard for the Jungian thinking, feeling, intuition, and sensation. And then they get four different voices, uh, four four different people who talk Uh to them. Right. Um, And if, if for those of you who have, particularly in the male movement, I don't know what they're calling it anymore. I learned this such a long time ago, you know, there, there was a movement within the, the, within the male energy community mm-hmm. of you've got, uh, let me think if I remember now, it's the warrior, the magician, the lover, uh, and I'm missing one. Uh, it'll come to me, but you've got those four, those four component parts that do relate to the tarot cards. And then you constantly are doing exactly what you just chatted about. And that's, mm-hmm. you're having a conversation. What does the magician inside you say? Exactly. What does the lover inside you say, right? Yes. What does exactly. the, king, the, the, the ruler inside you right. say? And what does the warrior inside you say? Right. You've got those four main parts and some of them are not so good. <laughs> right, right. And then the other, the other like trick that I haven't mentioned yet that I think is powerful is if you've figured out who's got more 
you know, each, each role has a percentage of who's in charge and it should all add up to a hundred. So I don't care if you have 1% for one person and 97% and then all these other threes in there, whatever it is. But when you look at the balance or imbalance, you in your mind can also imagine having the conversation and saying, you've been in, you've had too much say, and the other people are feeling blocked out and unimportant. And I need you, let's bargain. Who will you give up some of your powers for? And, you know, and you kind of bargain with them. You can also physically imagine them in different, like I've done this with pillows in my office or, you know, different little tchotchkes in my office where people, uh, one client a long time ago, she brought in a different earring to represent in this little bag, every little part of herself. And so, but with the, the pillows in the office or the tchotchkes in the office, you go over to the pillow and you take physically imagine yourself taking back some of the shares that are over awarded and physically giving them to another part that needs more voice. What a great exercise. Influence. That's, so that's, that's wonderful. A, yeah, that would be a, a good tool to do if you get really esoteric out there. Well, what happens <laughs> if, because we've, we've obviously we're running out of time here, but, but let's jump real quickly into what happens when the part that you're negotiating with uh-huh. just keeps fighting back. Uh-huh. I don't want to give it up for you to go give it to, to the other part. Uh-huh. Are you there have, any? Yep. Have the parts argue it out. Oh, really? Yeah. And talk about how it feels to be. So you almost like an actor would, you role play the critic and then you role play the cheerleader. And then you talk about, so let's say it's me, Michelle, the critic talks about its impact on Michelle's life. And the cheerleader talks about, you know, when you're doing this, this is how it's affecting Michelle's life. And so as the part, you have a discussion, almost like um, a trial, right? To talk about that. And then sooner or later, someone's voice can come in to help. So you can pull in a third person to come in to help. Maybe that's the wise old magician comes in and says, this is, uh, 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 we are so not. So essentially we've mm -hmm. taken what, what I've described before as the drama triangle, right? You've got the part that's dominant, the predator. You've got uh -huh. the part that is not so dominant, the victim. Mm -hmm. And then you're intentionally bringing in as part of this, this internal dialogue, the, the savior. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's fascinating. You're letting them work it out themselves. Yes. And you can role play it. You can script it back and forth. If you're not into acting it out, you can do it in your head, you know, have a conversation in your head. You can draw it out. Sometimes that's helpful. You can use symbolism, but it's, and then when you are not feeling happy or satisfied with a certain situation in your life, you can tap into the parts for their wisdom. Who's, who's speaking loudly and who haven't I given a chance to talk and give me an alternative perspective that I haven't been considering. Yeah. And I, I want to underscore one thing, having gone through this because of Michelle, um, I think it's really important that we, that you all understand that you're not destroying a part of you. No, this is parts integration Yes, and that it's, it's a way of saying you're okay Yeah. <laughs> to, to that part. And it's, it's a journey. Now, here's the interesting thing, because we're at the end of the show here. Uh -huh. uh, we're going to actually continue this discussion. It won't be next week because we have a special guest, but uh -huh. 
Michelle and I are going to do a show called The Old Way of Seeing. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, it's going to take a completely different approach to the naming. And I'll give you a little tease that we're talking to you now about taking those parts of you that are uh, disempowering, the parts of you that aren't working, the parts that are creating challenges, talking through that and having them have less of power over you and moving it over. We're going to be talking about the, the, the somewhat counterintuitive aspect of, you know, when you were little, you didn't give things names. Mm-hmm. And it was when you think started giving things name that you started being distanced from it. Mm-hmm. It's them and us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's me and you. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about that, how that all ties in, in uh, a little later podcast as well. Uh, Love it. And, and Michelle, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we've left out? Cause I know we're at the end of the show already. It went really quick. I, th- <laughs> I think that is what I wanted to cover. I can't think of anything else that we didn't get to. I just hope that it makes sense to people and that you have some tools to kind of continue the work on your own or reach out, reach out to a therapist or a coach that works in NLP parts integration or a therapist that does NLP or Gestalt work, you know, if you need some help with this, but it's really powerful work happens when you do this. Yeah, I, I'll, I, I'm going to leave you with two <laughs> thoughts real quickly. First of all, this sounds really easy. <laughs> it really is easy. You, you will be amazed when you take the time to step back and say, something's not working for me right now. Mm-hmm. And you know that, right? We all have mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of goes back for me as anytime you want something, mm-hmm. you have stress. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is the stress? Give it a name. It really mm-hmm. is that easy. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. go through the process that Michelle uh, and I were chatting about. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the other thing is to understand that you're not killing anything off. Right. I've, I've said this a number of times here because that's really important for me as I went through this process of repurposing it and getting it to work for you in other ways. You know, again, back to my example, the warrior, the gunfighter can do other things. They don't always have to be at war all the time. That's not really good for a relationship (laughs) or for a fostering. You know, if, if I'm a grandparent, it doesn't help me to walk in as the warrior all the time, unless I'm playing, you know, night on the bridge with the kids. Um, Right. Right. The, 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 la- the, the other thing I pass this on to you is another way of discovering this, and this is what I do with uh, clients, is to simply say to yourself, tell me a story. Just tell me a story. Mm-hmm. And then daydream. Sit back, go take a bubble bath, go sit out in the sun, go for a walk with the intention that I'm just going to tell myself a story and then let the story play out. And then after the story's done, go back and see what you're, what, go, go back and identify all the characters in your story because mm-hmm. you're all of them. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you will start to see how that plays out as well. You can do it with your kids, by the way. It's a fabulous thing. Uh, and because I know we got some people with children here, it's like, just tell me a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done it with our kids, I've done it with our grandkids. And it's fascinating when you listen to them tell you back this make-believe story that isn't so make-believe after all. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to tell you 
uh, as we end, I wanted to tell you, I didn't circle back to my contrarian and how it plays out in real life. So as I noticed myself with the shed thing, I told my partner, I have a safe partner, right? Who lets me be my wild self. So I told my partner, isn't it ridiculous that I'm such a contrarian? I look at everybody's sheds. And just by telling him that, number one, it reinforced, I don't have to resent where I live for this silly shed thing, right? There's lots, you know, we can write the board and have other things done to our property that are not necessary. It also highlighted that someday we, you know, we may want to move to a place that doesn't have rules about sheds. And it also highlighted in the here and now, something that's really important between my partner and I is that we have very limited amounts of rules that we place on our relationships and limited amount of expectations. Freedom is very important to the two of us. And so it reinforced that we both have a contrarian. We can both laugh at it and we can both remind ourselves not to have those unspoken expectations um, or rules that don't make sense and, and help us get along better. So I wanted to tell you that there's a point in naming your thing, being aware of your thing, having a good person in your life you can share it with and putting it in check. That's that's Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's a, a great concept because I will tell you, I've shared with my wife some of the the labels that I've put on <laughs> my stress and she's shared some of hers. And we remind each other of them. Uh-huh. At Scott, you're letting the the so-and-so in. Uh-huh. The gunslinger's um, here. Yeah. Can we reframe um, this conversation? And I will tell you, my sister, and I'll, I'll share one rather personal. My sister and I, uh, and I know I'm going a bit over, but my sister and I have chatted before about the Toby Keith song, Don't Let the Old Man In, and and the uh, how that came about. Toby Keith was having dinner with Clint Eastwood. God, wouldn't you love to be at that dinner? Um, Toby <laughs> Keith is having dinner with Clint Eastwood. Toby Keith is asking Clint Eastwood, how is it that you're able to do all the things that you do at the age that you're at and you never seem to get tired of it all? And Clint Eastwood purportedly said to Toby Keith, I don't let the old man in. Oh. And then Toby Keith writes the song about it. And then Clint Eastwood, of course, puts that in his movie. So my sister and I oh. have the, the old man voice oh yes going on in our head and we remind each other don't let the old man in don't let the <laughs> old man in <laughs> brian and i have the opposite problem we probably like let's hang out with the old man today <laughs> <laughs> well i'll introduce my old man to your rebel and they can somehow work it out <laughs> work it out Awesome. All right. With, with that, we're going to bring the show to an end. I want to thank everybody for listening and joining in live and uh, helping us subscribe and share and, and comment on this. Uh, obviously, that certainly helps us. Next week, we have a special guest. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, Yay. Uh, but it, it is kind of cool. And uh, I will post more about that. I will be putting the replay up for everybody. Uh, and with that, everyone, thank you and be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace. <laughs> You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.